Welcome to the SAMA podcast. We ask the smartest customer-facing people in B2B how to become trusted advisors to the customers their companies can't afford to lose. I'm Harvey Dunham. Adrian, maybe the way to start this is that, you know, I'd love uh, to give you a little perspective of why your article so, uh, you know, captured our attention right away. You have a, a real gift for this, which is that perception of value is always in the state of flux. I think normally the time span of flux, you know, you may be working with a customer for years and things are kind of steady state and everything's going well for them and the economy's not going crazy or whatever. And it's just sort of business as usual. And it's easy to get into that mindset. But now all of a sudden, here we are, all of us, every person on the planet is confronted with this crisis. And it is, you know, we are in flux. By definition, everyone's in flux. That's right. Mm -hmm. So given that, and given the, the folks that we care about, which is our strategic account managers and people in sales, how do you advise all of us to take advantage of your observation that, that the value has changed in all probability for all of their customers. <laughs> and I, I like how you've worded it there that, you know, this is a shock that affects everybody on the planet. Like no industry is exempt and business will no longer be the same uh, going through this shock and coming out of it. But I, I guess the key advice, Harvey, would be exactly where you started, uh, the perception of value. I think a lot of us, when we talk about our value proposition or our unique selling proposition, our differentiated value, we tend to think inside out. And that is to say, we, we think of the product, we think of the service, we think of our solution, and then we assign value to it. And then we think we can take our sales folks, our, our account managers, to go out and articulate for us and educate the customer on our behalf of how this can help them. But the underlying assumption in all of that is that we define the value. And that has actually never been true. What has always been true is that the customer defines the value. And, and I guess for me, Harvey, I learned this very early because my career in sales was in software. And, and I learned very early that software is an application. It's something that you apply to solve problems. And the people that were successful selling enterprise software were the ones that understood very thoroughly what it could do, but never led with that. They always led with, or we always led with, what does the customer need? What will the customer value? And we hear from them first, their perception of value. Then we basically bend the application of the software creatively to solve that problem. So, so through selling software and the malleability of software, it was always clear to me that the value is in the perception of the, the, the buyer. So the advice that I would give to all of us right now is to look not at the value we create that we think we create, but at the value at the point of use, at the point of utilization. What does the customer do to create value for their customer? And how do they use our products, our services, our solutions to create that value? That's what we need to look at. And as their customer's perception of value changes, the applications that we provide to help them create value, we have to be able to pivot as well. Wow, that's interesting. Great, great response. Great reminder to all of us. That's uh, 
It doesn't matter what we think. It matters what they think. That's the right. customers, that is. That's right. And the customer's customer. And I was just thinking, if I can follow on for a moment, about your software example, because your your customer there in a in a software sale very often is an inter the customer's customer. Let's say you're selling it to the CIO or somebody on the CIO's staff. Their customer is probably an internal customer. That's right. But a diff a different customer. So what you're saying is is that the value that they see is really going to be dependent on what their customer thinks. Exactly. And I, I sold back in the day of on-premise software. So we were selling multi-million dollar, multi-million dollar systems that were on-premise. And then the, the, the whole cloud computing started to emerge. And I remember we were selling CRM, multi-million dollar CRM systems. And this small little company came on the radar with a, a, a tagline of no software. And it was salesforce.com. And we actually laughed, we laughed. We thought this is ridiculous. Nobody is gonna put their customer information on the internet. And then people started to put their customer information on the internet. So we said, okay, well, small companies might do it, but the big companies that we sell to, they'll never put such uh, sensitive information on the internet. Well, nobody's ever heard of the companies that I, I worked for a company called Vantive Software. We were number two in the space. Siebel Systems was number one. Most people I talk to today have never heard of them. And I myself am now a salesforce.com customer. So that's an example of value migrating. And what the on-cloud software applications did is they shifted the focus from, from uh, what's called exchange value to value in use. So exchange value, as we said, this software is worth $5 million and here's why, and people would pay us. And then a lot of times, Harvey, the software would sit on the shelf through the implementation process, and then sometimes it never came off the shelf. When Salesforce and the others like that came along, they basically said, you don't have to pay us for any software you don't use. You only, use the, you only pay for the software that you use, and we're, we're obligated to make you successful, otherwise you'll end your subscription. And as you're successful, you'll buy more licenses. So, so the whole notion of value shifted from ex an exchange for value to the, actually the use of value and proof that there was value being delivered. And I think that has cascaded out or, or, or um, magnified itself in other industries as well, where everybody's now asking themselves, am I actually getting value from the utilization of whatever the solution is? Uh, that's a great example. And so, that's really, I was just gonna just to, to close that up, that thought. And that's really the focus now. If we're going to be successful, we have to understand, especially in such a changing, rapidly changing uh, industry, a marketplace or economy, and we really haven't seen the extent of this yet. We have no idea what the fallout will be. But as things are changing rapidly, our success will be determined by value in use. And we have to understand, what is my customer actually doing with my solution to create value for their customers? and to monitor that and, and to make sure that there's an uptick. And if there is a downtick, that we're, we're pivoting quickly to make sure we're helping our customer be successful in any industry and in every industry. Right. And now given the situation that we're all in, and as I said before, all of us, everyone in the world everyone is of in us. this situation. Mm -hmm. So it's what you're really, I, I think what I hear you saying is, is that you'd advise every company and every SAM 
to rethink their business model. If I could capture it in a, in a, a phrase, is that the right way to articulate it? 100%. And don't take anything for granted. And um, what's, what's really critical now and part of the business model is to rethink which accounts really are strategic to us. Sometimes we use this term kind of loosely, strategic, this is a strategic account, and almost opportunistically. Now, in part of this business design, if we choose the wrong customers and invest in the wrong customers, that really cannot optimize the value that we can bring. It could be catastrophic, not just for them, but for us as well. So, so we have to be very clear. While you know, we might have many customers and they're gonna to continue to buy from us, hopefully, there are certain customers that will really benefit from what we can bring and will really value what we can bring and are working in an environment and, and in such a way that they can be very successful in this period of flux. We need, to, we need to identify those customers, build very deep relationships or continue to build deep relationships with them and work creatively and innovatively with those customers. The worst thing I think that can happen to us right now is we get kind of desperate. We spread ourselves thin with customers that really don't value us. As a result, we're not able to really help the customers that could really value us and our, our true value gets uh, compromised. Uh, great, great, great advice. Maybe just to expand just a little bit more in this area of picking the right customers, which is uh, you're, you're, you're singing to the choir here. You know yes. that we know this, but when you're working with actual clients, what prevents them from having the courage to do this? Because it seems, to, it almost seems to me, uh, maybe courage is not the right word, but it seems like they get caught up in in a lot of uh, paralysis, I guess, analysis mm -hmm. paralysis. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what it is. And they they keep people around that, honestly, the, I, I call them zombie strategic accounts, for lack of a better <laughs> they're, they're the, great image. They're a walking, a walking dead uh, customer yes. in a way that yeah. doesn't really want to collaborate with you. They're just big and important. Everybody yeah. gets that. But who are the, you know, the... People kid themselves, don't they? Yeah, so they do. What, what are you seeing? I think I would say it this way, you know, uh, in a way, money is a drug. And mm. as, long as, as long as money's coming in, then you get addicted to that cash flow. And it might not be particularly profitable. Uh, it might, the, the relationship might not be healthy, but it's money. And, and I think that's where, and courage might be the right word in some circumstances, but I think that's what it is. That's what I've seen where big account, either there's a good amount of money uh, flowing or there's the promise of a good amount of money to flow. And then all is forgiven. You know, as long as there's a check coming with you, I'll forgive everything else. What I'm seeing now is, is this um, industry dynamic that's forcing people to say, is this a healthy customer? Will this customer even be around in a year? Um, and so are we gonna be over-investing and overextending ourselves with a customer that might not even be here. So, so the current situation of uncertainty, I think has forced the conversation to say, all right, which customers are we gonna get serious about? And which customers maybe do we need to begin distancing ourselves from, or even maybe um, retiring the relationship? So I, 
think, Adrian, what you're pointing to is something that I, I know this from my experience, but I've, I've never seen it really studied too much. But my observation is, is that when there's a market downturn, like we're seeing right now, I mean, it's not a market downturn, but the market's turned off, basically, right. from a right. uh, And then I've never seen this. Perspective. I've never seen a market yeah. turn off. We've all seen downturns, but a shutdown is something else. Yeah. But normally, coming out of a downturn, it, what I've observed is the companies that survive, that's when market share is gained. Big chunks of market share. Right. right. Because those, so I think what, what you're saying is, if I'm hearing you right, you need to really think about who's going to survive and pick those and, and find not only will they survive, but they want to collaborate and co-create with you. Exactly. Exactly. And, and those are the customers you want to, you want to move all your chips onto their square, so to speak, from a roulette. That's right. and, and I think it's going to be a, com it's going to be a combination of, are they able to pivot and adapt in their value delivery, their value proposition and their value delivery? So in, as right. things change, are they able to pivot and create something and deliver something that is highly valued? So that's one thing that I'd be looking for. The other thing I'd be looking for is, uh, are they well managed? Because it, it's, it's that ability to preserve cash it's that ability to have good cash flow that enables them to retain good talent and confidence and enables them to pivot. Whereas if a company is not well managed and they're, they're feeling the pinch, when it's time to pivot, they just can't. Even though they've got great ideas, the best people have left them and they just don't have the cash flow to pivot. So I'm looking for, um, organizations that are very clear on their value proposition, but are also uh, agile and able to pivot based on how the customer's perception of value changes. And then are they well run so that they have the ability to pivot. And the other thing we shouldn't kid ourselves as well, especially now, and I, I, you actually used the term market shutdown. Uh, like we're closed for business, period. Uh, and then at some point, hopefully we're open for business again. So this isn't just a market downturn, it's a market shutdown. Uh, in either case, whether it's a significant downturn or a shutdown, uh, when, when the lights come back on, th there's going to be this question, not just around organizations, but around whole industries. Whole industries can become irrelevant when market value, or when the perception of value shifts significantly a whole industry can become irrelevant. So it's not just the companies we're looking at to say which companies are gonna survive this. We also have to be thinking which industries will survive. Maybe whole new industries will be created or industries that were kind of um, on the periphery, they will become center stage. So it could even be it's, it's likely, or it's, it's certainly very possible that a medium-sized company or even a small company might come out of uh, a horse racing analogy from the back of the pack. Exactly. Racing to the front. Exactly right. In, in a hurry. And so it's that ability uh, to sort of anticipate the future 
and say, you know what, I see where this organization is going. Uh, let, let me, let me uh, work with them, let me help them. The other side of it as well is there are companies that are at risk and, it, and they're strategic accounts for us, but they're at risk. There's a view that we need to abandon them as quickly as possible because they're not gonna make it and let's find somebody else. But there's also a view that this is a strategic account for us. <laughs> we, we chose them for this reason. Let us really get in intimately with them and, and, and collaborate with them and help them figure out what is the strategic pivot that they have to make that even though everybody else in their industry may fail, they have the resources, capabilities combined with the capabilities that we bring that they could make a pivot that makes them the star. So, so just because um, the news, the, the immediate news looks bleak, that's the whole point of strategic account management, that we can get in, collaboratively, creatively work with them, innovate with them, and help them come out the other end. Wow, that's great. That's great. I really like that advice. It's incredible. Well, I, I want to move on to the next point that you made in this, which is the power of the story. And, you know, as you, I read the first paragraph, the, the first point, and, you know, the, basically uh, advising us all to take this moment to look at the future. In fact, you should be looking at it all the time, but particularly now with this event that's, that's uh, got all of our attention. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, you know, the power of the story and how do you link the power of the story to this first point that you make about the, the, you know, the, the perception of value is always in a state of flux? What a, what a, what a great question, Harvey. Uh, what a great question. Uh, so here's how I link it. So value is always in a state of flux and value is a perception and it's in the eye of the beholder. But the perception is in the story, that we are always telling ourselves a story and everything that we interpret around us, we interpret with story. Everything needs a narrative to be understood. I like to say, we don't see with our eyes, we see with our stories. So two people can look at the same thing, but see two totally different things because it's interpreted differently. So we always need a story to interpret. And what we're going through now, with a global shutdown of business. It puts us in a quasi state of shock because there's no story for this. We've never seen this before. There's, how, how do we interpret this? What, when the whole world shuts down for business, where do we go next? If there is a global depression, the likes of which we've never seen before, it's unprecedented, how do we anticipate what happens after that? We have no idea. So we need our stories to perceive. Therefore, we need our stories to perceive value. And, and that's how I link the two. So we really have to help the customer see their new story. Right on, 100%. We, we need to understand what is the story they are currently telling themselves. So if I'm in the restaurant business, which is like the first hit and the hardest hit, or the hotel or airline, but the smaller restaurants, 
that time is of the essence. If they don't get help like next week, they're, they're closing their doors forever. Uh, so if I'm in the restaurant business, what is the story I'm telling myself? And if you're a supplier to the restaurant business, you need to know that. Because if I'm telling myself all is lost and I'm interpreting everything around me, including you, through the story that all is lost, I'm not going to spend a penny with anybody. I'm basically ready to close up. On the other hand, in the same industry, someone else is thinking, how can I pivot? Maybe instead of selling to this type of customer, I could be selling to this type of customer. Maybe I need to focus more on delivery at home because in this particular situation, people are going to value home delivery more than going out to eat. So I'm going to take my capabilities. I'm going to pivot along. You come along. You, uh, you come along now as my account manager. And because of the story, I'm telling myself that there's opportunity here. I can pivot. Now I'm open to, to, to speaking with you and exploring with you. What, what might we do together? So everything that we say, everything that we do is going to be interpreted through the lens of the story that the customer is telling themselves. We need to know what that story is and we need to help them tell themselves a strong story, a heroic story where they're then pulling us in as resources to help them achieve the possible. So if I, I'm thinking about this and, and you know, what, did, what would I am sitting at home, I'd like to be out doing what I normally do, but I, I can't. My company's prohibiting me on the travel ban. Mm -hmm. uh, I, the governor is telling us to stay at home, don't go out, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, uh, would it be good advice to all of those salespeople to call their customer and ask them, what's, how are they seeing things? Yeah, I think it is. How are I'm, they? I'm glad. Yeah, it's good. go ahead. Yeah. No, no, you, you see the point. It's, yes. What can what can I do about it? Ask the customer. Huh? This is. I, I think the number one thing that we need to be doing is making sure the customer is okay. When when you look at the contagion rate of this virus, yep. the, the death rate is not as bad as we thought it was, uh, but the contagion rate is is crazy. Uh, it's exponential, so it's highly unlikely that any of our customers will be untouched by this. And, and when they get touched by it, it's going to be detrimental. It could, it could be catastrophic. So I think it's off color to basically call customers in a, in a, with, with a motivation to say, I've got to sell you something. You know, my, my business is in trouble. I've got to sell. Uh, when they might be facing tragedy. So, so number one, we've got to be sensitive that these are tragic times. Um, Everybody is at risk and we really do care about our customers. So let's, let's connect with them in a way that demonstrates caring. Maybe they won't take a phone call, but they'll take a text or they'll take an email that just demonstrates caring. Are you okay? Is your family okay? Is the business okay? Uh, and let's just reinforce the fact that we have a friendship here. It's a business friendship, but it's a friendship and we, we care about each other. Uh, and let's, you know, share with them what's going on in our lives. I think it's a great opportunity to just reinforce that human connection. That would be number one. And then number two would be seeking understanding. I don't need to sell you anything right now. Uh, what I need to do is just understand your world. How are you coping? What, what are you seeing? What are, the, what, are your top priority, what are your top challenges right now? What are your top priorities right now? 
What are you saying to your people right now? And the more I can gather this type of understanding and insight, especially if I can do this over multiple accounts or multiple business units within an account, after a while I start aggregating these insights, I'm going to get a better sense of what I can do to help. I, they need to know that I'm here and if, they, you know, if you need anything, you know, let me know. But also they need to know and they need to know that I care. And then also they need to know that I'm thinking about them. And it might be a week later, it might be two weeks later, but I'd like to sit down with you, share with you what I've heard from you, maybe what I've heard from some other players in the industry, and some thoughts around what you might be able to do to improve your situation. I think that kind of conversation will always be welcomed versus I know what my value is, I think I know what my value is, and I just want to sell you stuff. Can you buy some stuff from me? Right. Wow. Tremendous advice. That's tremendous advice. Well, this, this leads me to the last point in your article of putting things in perspective. Right. And, and here you turn to the salesperson themselves and say, you need to do some things differently. You've got an opportunity to do things differently. And I, there was something in me that feels that there, there must be something that inspired you to think about the salesperson as an individual themselves. And I just wonder if you could expand upon that and share what you were thinking about when you wrote this. Yeah, I think what uh, struck me there, Harvey, is I've seen through my years. So, so my particular background and story is, you know, I came from a dysfunctional family and very early on, I set a goal for myself that that wasn't going to happen to me, that I was going to have a family and it was going to be a healthy, functional, happy family. And so that's a, a goal that I set for my life at a very early age. I was actually six years old when I set that goal and it never left me. And uh, this April, I'll be 29 years happily married, raised two successful children, have just a very strong marriage that gets stronger. But through my career, I've seen so many sales guys that have also claimed that they're all about family. And then I've just seen in the busyness of it all and the traveling here and there and being everywhere exotic and living the high life, they've gotten distracted, ended up in affairs, and, you know, or, or they've just grown apart from their spouse. And while they, at the, on the one hand, are saying, I'm doing this for my family, their behavior actually betrayed that and the results actually betrayed that. So to me, it just struck me that when everybody's kind of forced to stay home, uh, it's a great opportunity just to really get grounded. And like, if we say we're doing this for our families, are we really? And again, it goes back to like, what's the story we're telling ourselves and are we really living that story? So that's, that's what struck me, just through the, the re kind of reflection on what I've seen through the years, selling alongside salespeople, coaching salespeople, and sales leaders, um, and just seeing more often than not the, the breakdown of family in the pursuit of success, in, you know, success in air quotes. Um, and what is success if you're not bringing your family along? Wow. Well, I, I was, you know, I was wondering what the red thread was that, that tied these three points together. Because when I first read it, I, I thought everything you wrote was struck me personally. But I was trying to link 
the three, and I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to see the connection. Did you, when you wrote this, did you see a, a, a theme that you wanted to follow where you're kind of sums this all up? That, that's uh, that's really an interesting question, um, Harvey, and it really, I think, speaks to the way your mind works, which is really phenomenal. And it kind of, I feel a little bit embarrassed because when I wrote it, the article, it was more just top of mind. Like, there's so much going on. Let me just sit down and put down my thoughts on paper. And I didn't really think of it in terms of, you know, what is the connective tissue that brings all of this together? But now that you've asked the question, I would say the connective or the red thread is the power of story, that it all revolves around that, that all of us have a story that we're telling ourselves, all of us perceive the world around us through that story. And so we perceive value through that story. We, as we engage other customers or, or customers and prospects, we need to engage them through the, the, their perception of, of value, through their story. And then ultimately, what is the story we're telling ourselves? Why do we do what we do? What is, what is the uh, ultimate definition of success? That again, depends on story. So, uh, you know, and I do a lot of training around storytelling and story making. And, and one of the things when, when people first come, they're hoping for a kind of a sales technique, the storytelling, because I guess there's other people out there doing storytelling. It's kind of this cool sales technique. By the time they've done the training, they're kind of taken aback and they realize storytelling and story making is in no way superficial. It is extremely profound because it gets to the very root and heart of who we are as human beings and why we're here and what we do. So, so that would be sort of the underlying thread, Harvey, that I would say is, is really the power of story. That's, that, that's the second point, but it really is what connects all three points. Amazing. No, it, 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 it makes total sense to me. I, you know, I'm sitting here wondering, <laughs> trying to quickly pull down what my story is and am I living it and am I being true to it? Right. And thinking and about customers well. and yeah. conversations that I've had all day. And yeah, it, it is. You're so right. And I just, as you said that, it just triggered the thought. There's an authentic power that that comes when you're connected with your story and you're not just sort of running around living other people's story but when you're connected with your story and you're living your story you show up with this uh, this gravitas there's an authenticity about you there's an energy about you there's a drive about you that people will connect with they're like i want that Pe people yearn to connect with one another and i i think that yearning will be highlighted now in this time. I was thinking about the term social distance, distancing. And, and it's kind of an oxymoron because we're either being social or we're being distant. But being socially distant, it's kind of a strange term. And, and I think, you know, when you're walking down the street and somebody crosses the road, it's a, it's a form of rejection. Uh, there's these sort of micro rejections. If, hey, there's two people in the elevator, I'm not gonna be the third. I'm going to back away. I'm not getting in. It's a form of rejection. Whereas before, when we were social and everybody gets in the elevator and talks to one another, it's a form of acceptance. And I think human beings, we need to connect with one another. And when you're connected with your story, it enables me to connect better with you authentically. 
And so I think this is a great time for reflection and for us to ask ourselves, what is my story? Why am I here? What is the impact that I want to have? What is my legacy? And then to be true to, true to that purpose so that when we do connect with others, there's a real sense of true connection. I think that's going to be powerful. And a lot of people will do business with you and with each other simply because of the fulfillment that comes from that true connection when we're connected to our true story. Wow. Well, I, that is amazing advice. I, uh, for me personally, and, and I know it's going to be for the SAMA community when we uh, share this with them. So Adrian, I, I really thank you so much for your time, your generosity, your, your inspiration, and, and I can steal your term, your authenticity, because I felt it from the moment we met. And you're just an amazing uh, member of our community, and, and uh, it's a real honor for us to be able to speak with you today. So thank you for your time. Uh, Harvey, the honor is mine to talk with you and also to be a part of the SAMA community. It's, it's wonderful.